Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. How are we doing, Covenant family? Oh, it's great to see all of you. And to those of you joining us from home, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a delight to welcome you into this worship experience. And we are going to pick up on week two of a series we began last week entitled No Fear. Uh, 30 years ago, or almost 30 years ago, there was this boat called the Andrea Gale. It was a 42-foot fishing boat, 365 horsepower engine that was guiding it, and it set off the coast of New England so that its crew could fish. And several miles offshore, unexpected to these fishermen, all of a sudden this hurricane just sort of appeared. It was what meteorologists would later call a 100-year storm, waves that were measured later on to be as many as 10 stories high, winds of upwards of 120 miles an hour, literally tearing that boat apart. In fact, a movie came out 20 years ago called The Perfect Storm. If you've seen that film, you've seen some reenactment of those horrific events. Now, I, I, I watch stories like that. My wife and I have different philosophies on catastrophe movies, movies about earthquakes, volcanoes, warfare. She kind of avoids them because they make her nervous. I love them and soak them up because they make me feel like, well, I don't have it that bad, so I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so it kind of depends on what your philosophy is around all of that. Most of us in this room, probably, unless you've been in uh, an active theater of war or something along those lines, you've probably never been in a situation quite that traumatic. But we've all experienced trauma to a certain extent, haven't we? We've all had situations that were kind of like that hurricane. They were situations that came upon us very suddenly, very unexpected, and they, they inflicted a level of trauma on us, and it was something large and impactful, whatever it was, familial, something emotional, something that when it was over, left behind an awful lot of wreckage. There's a reason that when we talk about trials, troubles, difficulty uh, that goes on in our life, that, that the metaphor we most often employ for that is the metaphor of the storm. I'm going through a real storm right now. This is such a horrible storm to go through right now. There's a reason that we do that. Uh, it's, and in the past few months, our entire culture has been subjected to multiple storms. And there's a lot of fear that's come out of that, hasn't there? Fear of a virus, fear of government control under the guise of a virus, fear of people who are not like us, fear of further divisions and fissures in a nation, fear of people who don't vote like us, fear for our financial future, fear for our family's own security. And so we began a new series last week simply called No Fear, describing the facts about God that should bring us comfort and remove that unhealthy fear from our hearts and lives. Because at the end of the day, my confidence and my ability to live without fear is not really tied to my circumstances, is it? It's not tied to any guarantee that I'm ever going to live any real portion of my life without some measure of trouble. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that we don't live in heaven. We are still very much on earth, that this planet is fallen, and as a result, we're going to go through some difficulty. My confidence and my capacity to live without unhealthy fear is tied exclusively and only to my God. 
If I'm going to live without paralyzing fear, that's where I have to anchor absolutely everything. I have to get to a point where I can agree with King David as he wrote in the Psalms, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, I have nothing besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail. We might go on and say my economic situation might fail. My relationships might fail. All the things around me might fail. My health might fail. But you are the strength of my life and my portion forever. When we get to that point, that, that's the point at which we actually begin living with no fear. And last week we introduced this idea by talking about the providence of God in the life of a man named Joseph. You can find that story from Genesis 37 all the way to the end of the book, the ups and the downs and all of the betrayal and everything else that he faced in his life where he was finally able to look at this in a healthy way by looking at the providence of God in all of those things that he was made to go through. And we learn through that story and other stories in the Bible. You and I are here in this moment and not in a moment that some of us probably would rather be in. We're here because God brought us here. He brought us here. But today we're going to learn something else. It, it, that God didn't just bring us here. He's not merely sovereign. He's not less than sovereign, but he's not merely sovereign. He is not, as, as Thomas Jefferson once described with his fellow deists, this, this divine watchmaker that's just sort of wound up uh, the universe and is sitting back watching it from a safe distance. He did not just bring us here. He is with us here. And this is one of the things that we're going to see today, and we're going to see it through a story, the presence of God in crisis, a story about another perfect storm. This one took place 2,000 years ago. It's described in Mark chapter 4 in the passage that Pastor Jeff read to us at the outset of our time together on a body of water that was much smaller than the Atlantic Ocean, but a storm that was more significant because in that storm, Jesus taught his original disciples a lesson that you and I need to learn, especially in a day like today. That you and I can navigate any crisis that comes our way. We can find a way because the Lord is with us. Now, some of you, you're going to need what God's Word has to say to you right now, today. You're going to be like, this is, this is, man, the Bible's message for me today is right on time. Some of you needed this six months ago or yesterday. Some of you, even in the middle of everything that's going on in our world, may be, you know what, Pastor, I'm actually doing just fine right now. I'm living a, a good life, and I, I'm just, I, I know the world's kind of falling apart, but I've actually, I've actually got it pretty good. But there is a day coming when you may not be able to say that. And you might need what God's Word has to say to you today, tomorrow. The big idea is this. It, it, the question is not, will I face difficulty? It's when's it coming, and how intense is it going to be? That's it. Every one of us is at one of three places right now. We're in the middle of this, what we might metaphorically refer to as a storm, or we are coming out of a storm, or we're feeling pretty good about ourselves, but unbeknownst to us, we may be getting ready to go into a storm. How do you come out of that victorious? And more importantly, just with respect to this wider series, how do you face it without fear, paralyzing fear? Let me let me share three lessons with you that, that just sort of naturally come out of the story. The first is simply to remember the promise of Jesus. Verse 35 says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Now that, that's key to the rest of the story here. Jesus is not just giving instructions here. By virtue of his identity, he's already declared what's going to happen. You ever have a trip that got interrupted? 
I'm a pastor. Has happened to me multiple times in the last 28 years. I'll be on vacation. Something will happen. I'll need to come back. Hasn't happened a whole lot, but it's happened some. Some of you have had that happen. A family member passed away. Something traumatic happened back at home. You had to get on an airplane, get back in the car, go back to where you came from. You didn't get to finish what you planned to do. And if you've ever had that experience, you might be tempted to look at these words in the same way that you would look at them if you had spoken them. But you didn't speak these words. Jesus did. And when Jesus says, let us go over to the other side, he's making a declaration. This is going to happen. It is a directive, but it's also a guarantee. And so later on, we're going to read these verses in a a minute, when the disciples run into the storm on the lake, they forget this. And, And you might be tempted to read this story and go, I mean, what idiots? Like, how could they be that dumb? But how often have we forgotten the promise of the Lord when things have gotten tough? How often have I done that? How often have I done that? And I don't tend to just a moment of transparency here. Big stuff, I actually, you know, pandemics, and even with my mother passing away a few months ago, and other, I tend to deal with big stuff pretty well by God's grace. I don't know how he built me that way, but he just did. My wife will tell you, big stuff happens. I, I tend to be able to, to kind of know how to handle things and what to do and how to lead and how to guide. And, that, and, and so because God's built me that way, sometimes I'm tempted to think that I'm more spiritual than other people. But then my banking app gets out of whack and I go berserk. Or I pull out a pair of socks and they don't match. One is black, the other is light black. And there are no more socks in the drawer. And it's a four-alarm emergency. And in those moments, the Lord reminds me, yeah, you're not quite as spiritually grown up as you think, big boy. Because in moments like that, whether it's the little stuff or the big stuff, and we go into four-alarm emergency mode, how many times in the middle of crisis have I forgotten the things that I heard loud and clear from the Lord and his word when the skies of my life were blue and the wind was died down? What he told them in this passage would have brought them a lot of comfort in the middle of that storm if they had simply remembered and believed for this reason. And the disciples have already experienced this. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, really, you have experienced this. Jesus has never and will never make a plan that will ever falter. And Jesus has never and will never make a promise that will ever fail. So when he says to the disciples, let's go over to the other side, there was nothing from the moment those words exited his mouth, there was nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth that would stop his followers from getting where he intended to get them. But that's the problem on our end, isn't it? He invites us into these kinds of experiences and and we, we don't know what's coming. How many people knew in front of me on January 1st What awaited you in 2020? Come on, somebody raise your hand. I'm going to write a book with you. We're going to make some money, right? You had no clue what was coming, and I didn't either. We had great hopes about a lot of things, didn't we, that just weren't realized, didn't happen. I had no idea on January the 1st that by this point, before the end of the year, that my mother would be in heaven. I, I, I did not see that coming. There's so many other things I didn't see coming. I'm guessing I'm probably not alone. There's probably a lot of people in this room right now. You didn't see certain things coming. If 2020 has taught us anything, it has taught us that the collective ignorance of humanity could fill multiple libraries of Congress. 
We just don't know. And because we don't know, we get scared because we forget this, brothers and sisters. Even when you don't know and even when you can't see, when the Lord Jesus says you're going to make it, you're going to make it. That's what it means. Rest in that promise. Rest in that promise. You know, when I was a kid, we used to vacation a lot in North Carolina. We, grow, we drove the Blue Ridge Parkway quite a bit. Some of you have probably been on that road. And we would stop at the multiple overlooks, and I would get out with my brother, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. I remember those years. All those overlooks had two things in common. They had a, a kind of a sudden drop-off, and there was also a railing because they knew people would bring their children. And when you got an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old boy, and he comes up on a railing, what's he going to do to it? He's going to test it. That's what he's going to do to it. He's going to lean on it. He's going to jump up waist high on it, lean over the side of it, right? And then what's his mother going to do? Same thing my mother did. <laughs> right? Get back from that. Like, what's going on? It could break. Well, the truth of the matter is it was kind of rusty. It was kind of rusty. Now, Dad, he's just standing back like this. Because if you're like me, if you're a father, you know how this works. You're like, yeah, yeah if he falls over, he just won't ever do that again, right? He's... He's learned his lesson. Mom's like, ah, ah, and she's saying things like, if you go over that rail, you'll go all the way to the bottom. You'll be at sea level and will never find your body. It's amazing what mothers will say to children to keep them from doing things when the children don't have a healthy sense of fear, right? Let me tell you something about God's promises. When God makes a promise to you, he's inviting you to the edge of a cliff. And he's simultaneously building a rail. And there ain't nothing going to break that rail. You can lean on those promises all you want, and they will never, ever, ever, ever break. So when you encounter difficulty, when you encounter fear, remember what the Lord said through Paul. I am sure of this in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And by the word, wait, th those words were not spoken to an individual. They were spoken to an entire church. I love that. With everything this church has been through in this year, God is not done. Don't believe me? Take a look behind you at all that food we're going to distribute. And if some of you want to stay, even if you haven't planned on it after the service, we're going to pack this up. 30,000 plus been fed thus far. That's not the only thing we're doing to serve our community, but there's way, way more to go as we push through the winter months and God willing see ourselves at the, toward, toward the end of this global pandemic and this crisis. But I'm telling you, the Lord is not done with us and he intends to complete what he began in us. Not just this year, but ever since the beginnings back in 1986. Remember the promise of Jesus. And secondly, Rest in the presence of Jesus. Verse 36 goes on to say, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And then there's this, there's this, there's this statement that's actually missing from a couple of other Gospels. And other boats were with him. And it's weird that it's missing because Matthew and Luke, in all likelihood, used Mark as a source. Mark was the first Gospel to be written. And so if you look at Matthew and Luke, all three synoptic gospels have the same story in them, but, but Matthew and Luke are missing this one sentence. Mark leaves this one in. There were other boats with him. And it, it kind of makes you wonder, if you're like me and you study the scriptures for a living, what was it that, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no less, 
would lead Matthew and Luke to leave this out of their accounts, but Mark to put it in. Why is that there? And I think at least one possible answer might be that Mark wanted us to know that the disciples were not the only people in this storm. They were not the only people encountering this trouble. Mark wanted us to know there was more than one boat on the sea that day, and I think he wanted to point out that the difference for a follower of Jesus is not whether we're going to face crises or whether the quality of our life is going to be better than the quality of life of someone who's not a believer, unless you buy into this prosperity gospel crap that has so infected so many churches in North America. You don't come to Jesus to get a better sex life or to have a better marriage or so your kids will behave or so that your life will be, you'll be able to cross all the T's, dot all the I's, everything will be in perfect order. You come to Jesus to get Jesus. You come to Jesus because without Jesus, even with all that other stuff, you've got nothing. And so the Lord, Mark's reminding us here, it's not about the quality. It's not about whether I can avoid a storm. It's about whether or not Jesus is in the boat. It's about whether or not my God who has made these promises is with me. So Jesus is with them in the boat. He goes on in verse 37. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Like, what's going on? Like, the boat's taking on water. Dude's asleep. Up in the stern. And they woke him and said to him, what I must admit I have said so many times when I find myself in a fix, and I want to imagine you have too. Teacher? Do you not care? Do you not care? How, how could he sleep? Well, for one thing, Jesus knew that he was exactly in that moment with those waves and with that water where his father wanted him to be. You know, a lot of times when crisis comes up in our life and we get caught up in circumstances beyond our control, we, we ask, what, what's going on? What, what did I do wrong? How many parents have I talked to whose kids have just gone buck wild and just, just crazy rebellion and they don't know what to do and, and they're, they're, what do we do? You know, they start going back to, did we change their diapers enough? I mean, it's amazing what we do. We get introspective all, all of a sudden. Someone who's otherwise healthy and they live most of their life until they get into their 40s or their 50s or even their 60s and all of a sudden now that health is taken from them and they develop a chronic illness and they wonder to themselves, what's going on? Why is God doing this to me? What did I do wrong? Is there some unconfessed sin? Did I do something to deserve this? Well, sometimes crisis comes as a result of sin, as a result of a bad decision, but the Lord tends to make those things pretty clear to us. The correlation between those when that's actually what's going on tends to be rather clear. Many times things spin out of control through no fault of your own. In fact, if you look back at these verses again and just consider this thought, these men were at the point, at least in their own minds, of sinking into the Sea of Galilee and going down in a storm precisely because they obeyed. Jesus had led them to this point. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with the topography of this region, but Lake Galilee, is, it's, 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 it's a fair-sized body of water, but again, it's not an ocean. It's more like a, more like a lake, really. 
And on its west side is this rather mountainous region, goes up probably about as high as Massanutten Mountain, a couple thousand feet. Over on the east side is what's called the Golan Heights. And so basically what you have is you have a large, warm body of water at the bottom, and you've got two big sort of high-rise mountainous regions on either side of it. And so those of you who know a little something about meteorology know what kind of environment that can create, right? That, that cold air comes down off of that mountain. It meets the warm air coming up. And when this happens, storms happen. And they come quickly, and they come suddenly, and they come violently. And, and when you think about it, just metaphorically, life's kind of like that, isn't it? Things can be going really, really smoothly. Everything seems to be going well for a long, long time. Pastor Joe's back here in the corner, our student ministries pastor. Uh, we were honored to bring him back on our team back in February. And six weeks later, the whole world went to hell. And I looked at him and I said, None of this was going on until we hired you. <laughs> it's your fault. But the Richardson family knows what it's like for everything to look good, everything to feel good. We're, we're moving. We're starting to make progress. We're starting to make connection. We're, we're working our way into this community. And then all of a sudden, bam, there comes a storm. That's life. You can be going along just fine. You can go for years. One text message. One phone call. One email, one pink slip, one subpoena, crap in this environment, one cough can start it all, right? And you are in the middle of something that seems inescapable. can happen to anybody at any time. And the difference is not whether or not your seas will always be smooth. If you've lived longer than 15 minutes, you know that's not true. The difference is whether Jesus is in your boat. You want to navigate crises without fear. You've got to come to this understanding. Safety is not the absence of worry and trouble and trial and hardship. Safety is the presence of Jesus. That, that, that's what it is. It only matters whether he is with me. He had led them there. He was with them. If you're his follower, he has led you to wherever you are right now. Rest in his presence. And then finally, rely on his power. Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. So he gets up, he goes out onto the, the bow of that ship, stands there surrounded by all these waves and wind and rain, disciples cowering in fear, buckets, trying to keep the thing from going down. And he simply says two things, calm down and be quiet. Actually, even that is, is a bit sanitized. This is a rebuke. It was as if he stood on the deck and looked at the wind and the waves, which he had full control over, and he basically just said, sit down and shut up. And immediately, the storms cease. Why? Because Jesus is God. That's why. These, th these are his winds. These are his waves. He can do with it whatever he chooses. How many of you have children in your house? Now you have exegetical, uh, exegetical proof and substantiation for telling your kids to sit down and shut up. You're welcome. The elements react. But the rebuke isn't over. There's another one coming, and this one's for the disciples. In verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still, still, how long have you been following me? You still have no faith? 
there's some irritation here. I think I have to believe at least one reason for this is this is the only time I see recorded in Scripture where Jesus got to take a nap and they woke him up. I'd be grumpy too. But there's another reason that becomes apparent when we see this story, particularly in the wider narrative of Mark's account of what's happening. Jesus, by this point, Mark has told us, has healed Peter's mother-in-law, has cast out demons, has healed lepers, has brought the lame to be able to walk, has healed a man with a withered hand. Now the God-man is in the boat with them, and time after time after time, he has overcome the crisis, and they, as of yet, are still focused on the crisis. Time after time, he has proven to them, guys, there's not a situation, there's not a circumstance or a storm that I can't handle. Corey Ten Boom was really a hero of the 20th century, uh, a Dutch watchmaker, and she was imprisoned by, Nazi, by the Nazis, spent some time in a concentration, concentration camp for her defiance of the state orders to turn over Jews. She actually hid them in her house in order to, to protect them. And after going through all of that and doing some writing in retrospect, kind of reflecting back on, on those moments, she used this analogy. She said, if you're on a train and it goes through a tunnel and, and everything goes dark and you can't see and you don't know where you're going, do you jump off? No. You sit tight and you trust the engineer to get you through. And I'll say to you now what lots of faithful preachers have said over and over and over again. When situations and circumstances beyond your control come to you, you can either respond in faith or you can respond in fear. But since both of those words have pretty much been butchered in 2020, we kind of need to define them, don't we? What does it mean to have fear? This, this word's been misused in 2020. It's been misused in a way that abuses a lot of the body of Christ. It's been misused in a way that spiritualizes irresponsibility and recklessness in the middle of a pandemic. It's been misused in a way that justifies lying and slander and all manner of other things. Early on, I remember when, when the pandemic hit and we started to have to make some hard decisions around here, I, I, would, I would hear this, are we living in fear? It's an honest enough question. It's not wrong to ask the question, but we have to ask what this means. We're, words mean things, amen? They don't mean what you say they mean. They mean what they mean, right? So fear, you don't just get to make that up. Well, this, this is what fear looks like. Fear is not about refusing. It's not about taking proper precautions. A lot of stuff within, within Christendom recently over this. I actually had somebody tell me, Pastor, I think you're putting way too much faith in science. Really? You, you think the natural world that God created is in any way at all opposed to the truth that he has revealed in Jesus as is revealed in his word? You think there's contradiction there? Really? Do you believe the Bible? I do. Do you? Yeah. Let me tell you what it says about what the modern age for the last 300 years has called science. It tells us, yes, God has revealed himself ultimately and finally in the person and the work of Jesus expressed to us in a written, infallible, inerrant word called the Bible. We absolutely believe that that is the supreme authority over all faith and practice, but we also believe that's not the only way that God reveals himself. You know why we believe that? Because that same Bible tells us that. 
It tells us that God has revealed himself to us in the natural order and that sometimes God has given to us, sometimes in believers, sometimes even in unbelievers, a capacity from Sir Isaac Newton to the present to see how these various elements interact with each other, the cause and effect relationships that we can easily observe. And when there are people who have professional expertise in these areas, particularly when they are followers of Jesus, they are gifts from God to allow us to see in this part and this particular situation how the natural order would reveal to us that we can protect each other. And those people at Covenant are called doctors and nurses, and I listen to them because they're smarter than me, and they're smarter than you. Be thankful for this, right? 500 years ago during the plagues, most villages, the guy who had the most knowledge the guy who was literally the smartest guy in the room, one of the few men in the village who could read, you know who it was? It was the pastor. 500 years later, anybody in this room right now should thank God that's no longer true. Because it's not. There are people way smarter than me. And so when you, when you disregard things that God has revealed in the natural order, because you want to give the finger to the government? That ain't faith. That's being stupid. Y'all believe I love you still, right? You believe I love you. Come on, I love you. I really do. I love you. I hope you believe it because I'm about to say something worse. This, actually, it's more than stupidity. It is rebellion against God. Because his word tells us, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't do it. So doing things to protect yourselves and others is not living in fear. In fact, it, it's recognizing a couple of things. Number one, that my life is not my life. I don't have a right to be reckless or to make whatever decision I want to with this life. God gave me this breath. It is his, not mine. And if he's revealed in the natural order through my brothers and sisters in Christ a way that I can protect myself and others, then he has revealed himself through that to me to say, my life, do with it what I tell you to do. Here's the other side of that coin. Sometimes God does call us to lay our lives down. Because here's the other side of that equation. If you're walking around in paralyzing fear and every time you cough, you're going, oh my gosh, do I got it? You know, and it just, and it just you haven't had a good night's sleep or death of this thing. Sometimes God does call you to lay your life down. But he gets to decide when we put our lives at risk, not us, not us. And we have such historical present, precedent for this that, that we've just not used. Evangelicals are not really good at historical precedent. We, we talk about belief in the Bible as if, you know, all these figures in the last 2,000 years of church history were dumb, but somehow we got it figured out. Let me read you just a few lines from Martin Luther, who gave the following advice when it came to ministering during a plague. He said, therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid persons and places where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what he has expected of me so that I am not responsible for either my own death 
or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, here's the other side of this, right? If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Look behind you again at the food over there and the food over there, and I'm just giving you one small slice of why we do what we do here. It is not because we're afraid of the virus or living in fear. It is because I recognize our lives are not our own. We are bought with a price, and we belong to God, and we do not have a right to be reckless, and it is not merely so that we can stay alive because the purpose of humanity is far more than merely not dying, and in fact, is to glorify God and to serve and love our neighbors If we're going to put ourselves at risk, brothers and sisters, it is going to be in service to the community where God has called us. That's what we're going to do. But you can't be stupid and do that. So that's fear. That's fear. Fear fear is not mitigating. It's not being wise. Let me tell you what fear is, though. Fear is when your circumstances perpetually get more attention than your God. That's fear. That's fear. That's how these disciples react. The only thing they can see is the wind and the waves. And I, I have a suspicion as to why that is. It's because they're not really as concerned about the fact that they're the only boat with Jesus in it. They just want a quiet sea. That kind of hurts, don't it? They want everything to be good. They want to be able to cross all the T's, dot all the I's. That's what I've noticed. A lot of people, they just want everything in the neighborhood and society lined up perfectly as if we could ever make that happen until Jesus returns. But in spite of a long history of faithfulness and never breaking a promise, they didn't have the faith that Jesus would do what he said he would do. But he did. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, exactly as he told them they would. Jesus, brothers and sisters, never promised a smooth journey. In fact, if you read Matthew 10 this afternoon, you'll find he promised the exact opposite. There will be difficulty in following me. They crucified me. What do you think they're going to do to you? He has promised this, a certain and safe landing. Don't ever, ever, ever doubt his power to see you through these storms and bring you out on the other side better than you started. Rely on the power of Jesus. But I'd be committing treason against the king if I didn't say this at this point. If Jesus is not in your boat, if you have not turned from your sins and put your faith in him, then you really don't have a promise of anything. The promise comes to people who belong to him And and Scripture calls you to realize you can't handle this life on your own. You have to recognize that you are a sinner standing under the judgment of God. Now, here's the greatest news I could ever share with anybody in the world. Jesus weathered that storm too. He went to the cross. He bled for us. The penalty for sin, non-negotiable, the Bible says, is death. Jesus weathered that, and then he rose from the dead, and he will never die again. He is reliable. He has never broken a promise. Come to him today. Turn from your sins, and he'll save you. And he'll forever be in your boat. And he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. There's a great story that comes out of a 
1989 earthquake that hit the country of Armenia. Four minutes, 240 seconds it took to level an entire city and kill 30,000 people. There's a legend around that earthquake that there was a father right after it happened rushing as fast as he could to a local elementary school where he just dropped off his son that morning. And when he arrived, he found the school wasn't there anymore. It, it had collapsed. And for a moment, he started to grieve, thinking to himself, my, my boy's gone. But then he remembered that he'd made a promise to his, his little boy. And his promise sounds a little bit like the promise Jesus has made to us. I'm never going to leave you. You can always count on me. And so remembering that, he thought, I don't know, maybe he's gone, maybe he's not, but I got to look. He surveyed the rubble. He climbed at the great protest of a lot of the first responders that were there, climbed up on top of that mound, and he just started digging where, best he could guess, where his son's classroom might be. And he started to pull big old rocks and big chunks of cement and cement blocks and wiring and wood and everything else, and he just kept going for six hours, eight hours, 16 hours, 32 hours, 36 hours later, the skin is hanging off of his fingertips. His palms are bleeding. And at hour 38, two hours later, he keeps on, keeps on digging. He keeps on pulling. He pulls a rock, and all of a sudden, he hears somebody go, Dad! Well, as it turns out, he pulled out his little boy and 11 other boys and girls who were in that class. It collapsed around them. None of those kids had so much as a bruise on them. And apparently, they had enough oxygen for at least 38 hours. It was a miracle, if you could ever call anything a miracle. And as he pulled that little boy out, little kid had a smile on his face. He looked back at his father, and he said, Dad, I told my class not to worry, that this hasn't hurt us, and that we're not going to be trapped down here because I thought you would come. If you were alive, you'd save me. And then when you did that, you'd save them too. And his father was bewildered, and he's like, son, you, you didn't know where I was. You couldn't see me. You didn't know what was going on. How did you know that? How would you, why would you tell your friends that? And he said, Daddy, it's because you promised. I'll always be there for you. I'm going to tell you something. There is a Savior who has said those exact words. And the only difference because there, there will come a day in all likelihood where I won't be there for my children anymore. It might be because they're living in another state and I can't get to them. It might be because I'm with Jesus and they no longer have me to lean on. But there's a Savior who has risen from the dead, who will never die again, who has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. A Savior who has said, I am with you unto the end of the age and you can take it to the bank for this reason. He proved it before he said it. By going to the cross and by raising from the dead. Remember his promise. Rest in his presence. Rely on his power. And I can tell you this. Whatever 2021 throws at us, you're going to make it. Because Jesus said, you're going to make it. Heavenly Father, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for those watching from home. I know this has been a difficult season, and I thank you, Lord, that through stories like this, we can know that we're not the first people that have ever come through crisis, 
nor will we probably be the last until you come again. And Lord, we are, though, a people who stand in a, in a long line of folks who are primed to see your faithfulness. And so, Lord, may we be faithful to you. May we lean on you. May we not give in to the fear that causes us to perpetually obsess over the circumstances that surround us rather than the God who brought us here and who promises through stories like this that he is with us here. Lord, I pray for those who, who don't know you today. May they come to know you. May they receive you as Lord and Savior. For those who do know you, but Lord, maybe they've been distracted. I've been there, certainly. I don't say that in any condescending way. Lord, we all, we all do it because we're broken people who in, in a year like we've had are going to be prone to wander, to be distracted, to be obsessed with other things. Father, just grab us and lovingly bring us back home and help us to rely on you today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.